This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hey everyone, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Conde Nast Traveler. I am Meredith Carey, and with me as usual is my co-host Lali Arakoglu. Hi. And this week we have a very exciting guest, someone who has inspired both Lali and I to travel, which is Samantha Brown, travel expert and host of PBS's Places to Love, which has a second season coming out soon, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I think Women Who Travel, we should talk more about us. All the, this All is the literally, time. that's just this. <laughs> yes, this is just us. We don't need boys when we travel. <laughs> you know, really though, I don't think I think I that's fair. No. It's illuminating when you realize that for the first time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we kind of wanted to start out asking you how you even got into hosting or traveling just in general. Were you interested in traveling as a kid? Mm-hmm. Is it something that pushed you towards hosting a travel show? Mm-hmm. Because you've been doing this for, for a while. 20 years. And, and a that's lot probably of before shows, your time, so. girls. <laughs> Um, but for a lot of different shows, and, and I think you know a lot of people know you from Travel Channel or mm-hmm. from Places to Love, but there were a lot of shows before that as well. So how did you get started? Uh, I actually had no interest in travel. I grew up in New Hampshire. We went to Pennsylvania and maybe Canada. You know, I certainly loved the idea of it, but never thought it would be my life. I went to school for musical theater, and I came to New York City to pursue that that career. So that means I waited on tables for eight <laughs> years and I was a very good waitress. I'm at any time I have those skills and I could fall back on that. Um, but I went for an audition that I actually submitted myself for and it was for a commercial and I got the commercial. And then the writer of the commercial actually recommended me to a production company who was hired by Travel Channel to create a show called Great Vacation Homes. And this was literally 20 years ago. And so they called me in to audition and I got the job. And my first reaction was, what's a host? I don't know what a host is. I'm an actress, Shakespearean actress, but I needed content for my reel. That's what actresses need. They need uh, video so they can show it to agents so we could get jobs. So I thought, okay, I'll do it for you know a summer and that, that'll be it. But the show did really well and I had a really good time. And the whole premise of the show was actually being with people in their vacation homes. These were not rentals. It wasn't an Airbnb show or an R- a VRBO show. So there was a real nice human uh, connection with it. And so then they put me in another travel show. So it just kind of spilled from there. Uh, But um, I had never traveled before. And I realized that I could bring that to the show. I wasn't a travel expert. I wasn't a travel journalist. And I was just this newbie figuring out the world. So I think that sort of approach, which wasn't an approach, it was really who I was, 
became sort of the, the success that kind of carried me through to where I am now. What was your first episode? My first episode was in Ocala, Florida, and we featured a, a family who had, and, and these were all great, these weren't like massive homes. These were tiny little homes and ranches, just people's dream, and so it was really lovely. So they had um, a little ranch in Ocala, Florida. It was a family, and uh, I just hung out with them. And I remember at the end of the few days, and actually when I first started the job, just being so exhausted because there is no script. And there still is no script. You have to kind of create it as you go along, kind of do your own research. So it's literally a half an hour of improvisation that you kind of create the ebb and flow and the narrative while you're in it. And so to me, that was a very new skill. And I was using my actor training for that. But it was like, I cannot wait for this to be over and just have a nice Shakespeare script in my hand to play, (laughs) to remember lines. And of course, that never happened. What was the point when you were like, I don't want this to be over. Actually, it was a point where I realized I wanted it to be over. That changed because I was doing a show. Then I did a show called Passport to Europe. And that's kind of what everyone knows me for. And at the end of those two years, I realized that I I, I didn't really want the job anymore. I didn't think I liked travel. And I didn't know why, but I just thought, you know, it's just probably not for me. But then the next series we did was in Latin America, and that's literally when everything changed. And I became really the traveler I am today. And it took me a while to realize that when I was in Europe, I was doing what everyone thought I should do, whether it was Rick Steves, who I admire so much, or Lonely Planet. I was doing their version of Europe. I was also spending all my time in museums and monuments and cathedrals, and that always put me in the past. And Europe has a tendency to keep you in the past. And in Latin America, they don't have any of that infrastructure. They don't have the five museums you should visit. They don't have the castles. They maybe have one main square. And the beauty of being in Latin America is being with people in the moment, in the now, how they are. And I loved that. I really it was just like, wow. I mean, it, it was amazing. And that became what I loved about it and what I continue on today. So it was really thinking, I don't like this because I was just checking things off an itinerary, doing what everyone expects you to do in Europe. And and I didn't like that type of travel. I like truly with every fiber of my being hate the question like, what's your favorite place you've ever been? <laughs> because it's so they're so different and it's so yeah. hard to like pick one. Mm-hmm. But thinking back over that 20 year career, are there like really memorable places, good or bad, that stick out as the strongest memories. Yeah, the, uh, the strongest memories I have of places are the places that are complicated, whether it's a history. Um, you know, in Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge, you know, you go there and it's not too long ago that they had a devastating civil war. Berlin, which has a very difficult, challenging history to go through. Charleston, South Carolina. You know, it's these are these places where you begin to understand a broader perspective of the world and the human nature to endure. And when you meet the people there and you realize it is a travel experience, those are the places. So I loved Berlin. I loved Cambodia. All the places I wasn't supposed to fall in love with, I fell in love with. Out of interest, when was that first time you went to Berlin? Because the Berlin now is very different from, very different. obviously different from when the wall came down 30 years ago. So 2002. 
So it was becoming the city it is now. And they had chosen it and you were feeling it and you felt that change. And that was something else different. You know, you go to Rome and you experience a city that was built 2,000 years ago. Berlin, it was happening now. And so the architecture was changing. Um, the people were changing. The East and the West. The East was becoming more interesting than the West. And it was just this electricity that you felt being there. And I thought, wow, imagine being in New York at the turn of the 19th century. You know, it's golden years. Imagine being Paris in Paris during the Belle Epoque years. Imagine being in Rome 2,000 years ago. It was being in Berlin in 2002. And now it's, now there's, because um, I've gone back four times since, and it's still an exciting city, but it's rested now. It knows what, it, it knows who it is. One of my favorite things to do in New York is actually, we work in the World Trade Center, but going up the elevator to the observatory, it's like this crazy experience yeah. where every wall of the elevator is a video screen, and as you go up mm -hmm. the 140 floors or whatever, it shows you New York <laughs> being built from marshland yeah. to the point where like I can point out my apartment building <laughs> being built, and the year right. it was built, and like that same thing where yeah. you know New York in... 2018 and you know it yeah. like you know these are the places you go and this yeah. is what you do and then you look and you're like oh this was literally a swamp yeah <laughs> exactly um but yeah it's so just to, just that energy and i think that's what travelers want most now is to be a part of it not to be in the past but to be part of what's happening now are there any places that really sparked your interest for this second season of places to love because when you did the first season there was like a very intentional choice into the places that you went. How has that kind of gone into season two as well? Yeah, and it's still always intentional. Um, but I would say that we like to show the greatest hits. And then I like to show the under the radar places that need travel love that have every reason to be a travel destination, but just don't get it. So last year, we went to Houston, Texas. That's, you know, it's the most diverse city in the United States. It's phenomenal what's happening there. This year, we went to Baltimore, Maryland. And Baltimore, Maryland, again, has now the reputation, and maybe it's not so strong, of, of the riots that happened a few years years ago, the racial tensions. And yet when you go there, there's so much about who contributes to its energy, whether it is the African-American community, whether it's Frederick Douglass 200 years ago to now and the arts. It's a cauldron of creativity. And it has this real, and everyone has it there, this unifying, do-it-yourself, scrappy kind of attitude. They make things happen there. And so it's that soul, it's that spirit that we always try to show in our travel show, not just this itinerary of must-sees, but what can you experience? How can you be inspired by the people who are there themselves. So Baltimore, definitely. Uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. So uh, in my, you know, 20 years of traveling, if I went to New Orleans, you know, 10 times, okay, I've been to New Orleans. I love New Orleans. Don't need to go to New Orleans every time I go to Louisiana. So we went to Lafayette, Louisiana, which is um, the cultural home of Creole and Cajun country and just kind of experienced a different, a different place that is in the United States, but maybe not of the United States, which is really exciting too. So we, I like to do destinations that people just go, really? You went there? Okay. My, my you know, interest is peaked. And then, and then we have them. You know, you watch it like, oh. How well did you eat in Lafayette? <laughs> the real very, question. <laughs> very, very well. It was 92 degrees. Thank you. You know, so thankfully I, I, I stayed off a lot of eating, you know, crawfish etouffee every single day. But um, yeah, you eat really well. You dance it off, you know, and then you drink it again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always people. think that when you're, you know, if you're lucky enough to be a travel host and you have this job that, so much of your time is spent eating incredible food and trying all these amazing things. 
is it actually like that or are you like standing in the rain waiting to start filming eating like a crappy sandwich <laughs> um it's a little bit of both i love the idea of showcasing food but i feel like it's done so much in travel food kind of took over the travel genre in, in great ways i mean andrew zimmerman is one of my closest friends and he's phenomenal and what he does is phenomenal and there's so many travel shows that are food specific i really made a conscious decision not to focus everything on food we touch upon it we certainly show it but it's not everything and um even uh when we were in hong kong I did a whole stand-up, and this is how I, I feel. Like, whenever I travel, I try to find that place that I can just kind of begin every single day at. I don't go to different places every single day, like a coffee shop in the morning, um, a place to have a glass of wine at the end of the night. And one thing about Hong Kong, there's a chain of restaurants there, and there are tea houses, but they're everywhere, and it's just a good, solid meal. And I feel like a lot of the food focus of travel has made it so that every meal has to change your life. And so I like to tell people it really doesn't. And when you're in Hong Kong, you don't have to travel an hour away to wait in a four-hour line for soup noodles. In my opinion, it's not worth it. Like, you could be doing other things. And so I try to say, like, not everything has to be so food-centric when you travel. I love to eat, but I also love just to have a good solid meal around the corner from my hotel with people who live in that destination. Every time I go to London, I always just eat at Nando's because I'm like, well, I don't get Yeah, this. exactly. Like, yeah. 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 This is going to be amazing. <laughs> We've discussed this. Nan Nando's is excellent. <laughs> what is Nando's? It's um, a chain of peri-peri chicken. I think oh, it, oh it, well, there you go. So, but, but I think it, it, I think it originated in South Africa. Interesting. Okay. But it's like a huge success in the UK. Mm -hmm. They're all over the country. Actually, fun fact, my dad was the architect for the first Nando's in London. Oh, you, you're Nando royalty. <laughs> I, this, I am. <laughs> this should be in your Twitter bio, exactly. and I'm not sure why. <laughs> Shout out to Hassan. <laughs> um, and it's pretty cheap, and it's so tasty, and it's so good. So and is it overtaking the Chicka Tikka world of London, which is so entrenched? Isn't that the national, or is it Tikka Masala, the um, national dish of, of London, or the city uh, dishes? Yeah, I think you could just say it for like any sort of Indian yeah. food at this point. <laughs> it's just part of our national dish. Yeah, it's sort of almost up there, and it is mm -hmm. this one chain. And I think it's like really wonderful advice to sort of say, like, choose just, a coffee shop or choose a bar. chill out. Yeah, I was... Uh, in LA this summer and I went to the same place for breakfast every, every day, day I was there. Isn't that great? Didn't you, didn't that free up your thinking as well? Because <gasps> I feel like with travelers, it requires incessant thinking. What are we going to do today? How are we going to get there? Do we have the tickets? Is it going to rain? Did, uh, you know, we leave in five days. Did our upgrades come through? You know, your mom called. You, you know, our cat keeps puking over her <laughs> brand new couch. Like it does not stop. And so when you, I call it create a ritual. Create a ritual will change your travel experience every day. Do one thing, the exact same thing, the exact same time every single day. And when I've talked to people, they've told me, you know, I meditate every day or I go to a park bench and I read the New York Times because I miss, you know, my New York Times. So I read it online and and I'm like, that's exactly what I mean. And all of a sudden you 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 take all that time that's speeding ahead and you just make it your own and then you just relax and uh, you just take away that sort of we've got to be so productive, you know, and uh, we have a good time. So Nando's Chicken, that's going to be my new place. That's when so I good. London. Do you think there are too many options at this point with everyone's apps and phones and best of lists? Definitely. And it's so I find it overwhelming. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's like everyone's become a travel expert. Everyone. And I guess what I try to show in my show is that there's an effort 
that goes into creating these experiences that we have. And there's an effort that it takes for you to get there. So when you see an Instagram shot, when you see a Facebook post, and it's a great picture, you didn't see all that lead up. You didn't see, like, I love that, that, what is it, the, the beautiful destinations one, where it's always that beautiful woman in the middle of, like, the Grand Canyon, and she's got, like, a flowing wedding dress on. I'm like, yeah, I want to know how you got there. <laughs> I want to actually see your face. You're probably starving. You're probably really mad. And now you've got to put a dress. You're totally sweaty. Like, where that, are your hiking boots where, like, out where of are frame? Your <laughs> it is the most unrealistic photos, the photos I've ever seen, because we've all been there, and you're kind of grumpy, and you're miserable, and and um, and so there's this sense of non-realistic expectations now when people travel, and the idea of travel is that no matter what, it's gonna go differently than you thought it was going to go. No matter what, there's going to be a plan B and a plan C. But the good news is plan C usually turns out to be better than plan A. So your goal of travel should never be to have a perfect time, to get that perfect shot, to have it like just this perfection. It should just be to go with what happens because that's that's when you really travel and you just sort of, you just learn from everything that's going on around you. So I, I do feel like there's just a deluge that everyone has an opinion and now even like, you know, if you, if you Google, you know, free things to do in London, like 6 million, 600 million, you know, websites come up. It's like, how do you know? How do you know what to do? And everyone reviews. This is my other, can I, can I rant on this? Oh, Please rant. Okay. <laughs> reviews. The, the review process. Everyone reviews everything. And so, speaking of being on a corner where it's raining, so you have the, the Yelp reviews and you have the TripAdvisor reviews and you're standing there in Munich on a rainy corner with your 75-year-old German mom who wants to experience Germany and you're trying to find a good Bavarian restaurant, so you type in Great Bavarian Restaurants Munich, you get, you know, 40 choices, you pick one, and then you pick the first review to read and it's a, literally a junior high school book report <laughs> on their entire meal with no idea of how to construct a review, just like my first bite of Spetzla was just as good as my 10th bite of Spetzla. And you're like, just get to the point. And so then what I do is I go to my Rick Steves book and it says best restaurant for Bavarian food is the Opera House. Two sentences on why it's the best. Done. I'm there. I love good writing. I love journalism. I love people who know that when you are reading about travel and where to go, you are not sitting in a kiosk or in a comfy chair by a fire. You are on the corner <laughs> in Munich in the pouring rain and you need to know where to go. Stacy from Arizona, get a clue. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's that kind of stuff that drives me nuts. <laughs> and so, but then they become the important conveyors of experience and I understand that but it's just can we just make it one paragraph <laughs> and then maybe you'll understand the traveler to me that just says you don't understand a person who's traveling right now but I mean if you go to amazon.com it's like you buy toilet paper you know, 4,000 people have reviewed oh Charmin. God. You're like, what? What uh, that, is there to say about need, toilet paper? You need to get a first, new hobby or know, a hobby. Exactly. It's like literally any time. hobby. It's like someone actually was like, you know, I know 4,000 people have reviewed this toilet paper, but I've got something to say. <laughs> and so you apply that now to travel. And oh, my gosh, it's just I think it's just it's too much. But I think that's what, you know, bringing it back to Condé Nast and uh, great magazines and great travel writing from New York Times to you're, you're just they become even more important and we start to realize oh 
there was a reason to have professionals actually review and travel and be there in the travel space. I have a question that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about taking the time to create a routine. I think that there's this tension these days between like, I want to get everything done. And I also want to, and I'm going to put such huge air quotes around this, Mm -hmm. live like a local. Because the thing that cracks me up is when people come and visit me in New York and they're like, I want to just like enjoy your life like what is it like and I'm like guys like you don't like you don't you want to smell the urine in the subway (laughs) it's a great smell you don't want to walk to work with me when it's 27 (laughs) degrees you don't want to stand in line at the grocery store to get into the grocery store like the joy of travel is that you get to skip all of that and you get to pick I'm going to yeah you get to skip the Monday you get to say I want to go sit in the park instead of like Okay, I guess I'll go sit in the park while I wait for my friend to show up. Um, How do you feel like people in 2018 are balancing that, like, okay, I have this checklist of things to do versus I want to live like someone who actually lives? Yeah, it's a good good point. And I think in my series, I really try to define that whole be a local and live like a local and where they go because it is a great goal. And I feel like the reason why we want to be with the locals is – because we want to feel like we belong to the world. I mean, I think that's ultimately what every traveler wants. We want to go anywhere and feel like, no, I'm here. And I, I, my, my life is important because I get to see this. And so when, you know, you, you understand also the effort that it takes to create the experiences we get to have, you also want to support that effort, you know, when you find out how, you know, how this single mom actually out of the blue just made donuts from her great-grandmother's potato donut recipe in Maine and now she's got a shop you want to go have one of those donuts and it's not just about eating the donut and waiting in line where everyone's going it's about supporting this woman who put everything out there against all odds and now we as travelers get to show up and I think when we connect with the locals it becomes much more I'm a consumer to I'm a part of this community and that's an important that's an important goal with travelers we, we, we want to feel like we're a part of something and we're contributing to the good in the world so I, I think it's important I think there's a lot of the mundane that people probably don't want to see. But I think it is exciting to see someone's everyday because it is extraordinary, completely different, you know, when you go to Cambodia from what they have in the breakfast in the morning and their commute is completely different than our commute. And, you know, just those kinds of little things where we realize we're really different. And isn't that wonderful? You talk so much about connecting with people. And over the past 20 years, what have been some of your most like memorable encounters? The most memorable counter, sort of like I caught my big fish story. This is my, you know, my, my fish was this big, <laughs> um, but it really was this big, was another moment in my life when I just thought, man, I don't think I can do this anymore. I was on the road for 220 days out of the year for eight years, traveling nonstop, and we were in China, and we were coming back from seeing something else that was like the biggest from sp- and can be seen from space. Like everything in China is the biggest <laughs> in the world that can be seen from space. Um, so we were seeing something that was the biggest in the world and can be seen from space, but we were coming back. And we just stopped to have dinner. And I had been in China now for like close to a month. And I was I was done. I was just so exhausted and beat. Um, and as my crew went in to have dinner, I just waited outside. And I just wanted a moment to myself. And I'd really lost my appetite too. And uh, as I was sitting there, I was like <sighs> looking around where I was. And it was dirty and polluted. And it was like we were in this warehouse district. It didn't look like there was even a restaurant to go to. And I remember thinking, what am I doing? Like, I just got married. I'd like to have kids, but I'm here. Why? 
And I saw this area like a block ahead and it was, it was full of light. And I think, I'm just going to go there. So I went for a walk just a block away and I get there and it's just the cement median that's well lit, but there are people out and there was a group of old women doing, you know, their like exercises all together and there were people walking their dog and children playing and I just thought, oh, this is nice. And people were looking at me and smiling and I'm like, because like, where did I come from? <laughs> you know, I totally look different than you. And so I just sat down kind of being around people and just then two uh, little girls roller skated up to me and they started speaking in Chinese and I was like I'm sorry I you know no, no Chinese and they kind of looked at me strangely and they they roller skated away and then after a minute they came back name I said oh Sam name they told me their names they giggled and they roller skated away and then they came back from I'm, oh I'm from the United States I said but I love China. They giggled again. And this continued for a while. And then I realized I needed to get back because I didn't tell anyone I was leaving. <laughs> so um, so I'm, I'm, I'm walking out of the park and I'm literally going from light into dark when I hear my name being shouted, Sam, Sam. And it's the two little girls and they're roller skating and they kind of get to the middle and one just holds out her hand and goes, my friend. And I lost it. <laughs> like I totally was like bawling. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just filled with just so much energy. And I realized, you know, I had spent a month trying to absorb a 5,000-year history of a civilization. I'd been to the Great Wall twice. We did the Terracotta Warriors. We did everything. And nothing made me feel like I've been to China. Then two little girls who went out of their way just to say, know how to say friend. And so when I travel, I'm always going for that big fish. That's the moment that I'm going for. And I'll go for long walks. I'll go, but I just want to interact with people and have these spontaneous interactions with people that are pure, that are not because of cameras on me. And um, that moment changed my life. So the first moment that changed me as a traveler was Latin America. And then the second moment was where I realized, no, this is exactly where I needed to be. It's like, I, there's nowhere else in the world that I want to be than right here in the middle of a polluted city, <laughs> you know, of 10 million that I don't even know the name of, um, than here. So people, people change things for me. Definitely. Speaking of kiddos, you have twins. I do. That are five Yes. Now. Yes. You know, we've talked about this on Travelog a lot and occasionally in a recent episode, we just did a traveling while pregnant and we've done some traveling as a mom episodes on this podcast. But how did your travel change with your twins? And then how did your work change? Because I think yeah. it's hard to be gone for 200 plus days out of the year when yeah, you have exactly. two five-year-olds yeah, at home. It's definitely um, so how did that change the way you approach all of this? Well, gosh, um, I don't do crazy things anymore on camera. I used to do a lot of crazy things because you feel like you're um, uh, invincible when the camera's rolling, and now I know I'm not. And so I don't do crazy things. I no longer work with a network. I own my own show, so I dictate my own schedule. I dictate what I do, and everything I do is, is about kind of controlling my life in a way that I can have both. It's very difficult kids don't understand that you're gone for Halloween. I got, you know, I got that one. Um, and uh, so it's a difficult balance. Most of the time I'm not really balancing it, but I love what I do. And one thing that when my kids say, why do you have to travel? Some? Why are you going away? Why aren't you, why don't you want to be with us? I mean, they ask me those questions. I always say, mommy loves her job. I have a really good job. 
And I've taken them on a lot of trips. They've gone to Hong Kong and Korea with me. We've done 10-day road trips together through California. They see my crew. They see how I work. It's important for me, for them to know that, you know, because moms work and and mom has a great job and you get to experience that well. And I think they'll understand, you know. And I try not to be gone for too long. Like, so October was a tough month. I was gone for three weeks. That's a long time. And that's an anomaly. But I'm usually gone for 12 days at a time at the most for six months. And then for the rest of the year, I'm home pretty much. So uh, it's just juggling that and saying no to projects. And it's nice. I think I think a lot of people in the professional world take on a lot because we feel like it's going to be our last job. We have to do this to improve our career. And I just say no because my kids are worth it. I'm curious, Lala and I off the podcast talk about imposter syndrome a lot. Mm. Because I think it's something that as you're growing your career, feeling like, oh, my gosh, like I am not in the right place because I am not qualified for this or not the right person Mm -hmm. for this. Were there times early or recently in your career where you felt like that? And how have you combated that throughout these years? Yeah, I definitely felt like I had was an imposter when I was doing the European show. And that was in my early 30s. And again, every travel show seemed to be about Europe. Europe is really well was really well covered back then. And we've we've moved on, but Europe was just so solidly entrenched with everyone in terms of the travel TV world. So I felt like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know, I'm not a traveler. And I don't know everything about European history and I felt like I had to know everything. I felt like I had to show up to people who were experts and school them on the Parthenon and, and know all the facts. And and so it was trying very hard to be something I, I wasn't. And I think it's just, it kind of goes along with any job just for a while. You really, you know, you you just don't know. And and then all of a sudden you understand your strengths. And, and, and now I don't feel that way at all. I'll walk into any room and feel like I have no idea what's going on, but I love the fact that I can show people on camera the vulnerability that I feel, which I think is important, that I do make mistakes and that I'm not perfect. And so that's why, you know, the world travel expert is, I've always been kind of like, and that's kind of a a part of that imposter syndrome, or maybe it's even a woman thing. We don't like to call ourselves experts, but I just feel like I'm always learning. And an expert just says, you've learned enough. That's it. You know, and it's, it's certainly with the travel world, as you know, you're never done learning about travel. So I certainly had it, but, um, I, I've, I've, um, I've, I don't have it anymore. How conscious were you of the fact that you really are one of the only female travel hosts out there? Yeah. Is that something that you have been very aware of when you've been working or did you manage to kind of put it to the back of your mind? Very aware. And I was always made aware of that. And I think it's a really sad place to be personally. And, you know, it's something that I've talked about freely about Travel Channel where um, they let me go and they had every right to let me go. Ratings weren't good and you, and you get let go, but they never hired another woman after me for seven years. And I was even told by the head of Travel Channel that women don't rate. We don't get ratings. And that's not true. I knew the ratings and I knew that the men were, who were put in the same roles were just given more time to get the ratings. So men were allowed a lot more time, even years, even entire seasons to fail where I would do a season, they would play three episodes and it didn't get the ratings, so I was cut. So I thought that was drastically unfair. People like to watch women travel and women in these roles. And I also felt in the year of the woman, they've really missed out. Having said that, the men at the Travel Channel that have the jobs 
we're phenomenal. They're some of my closest friends. We support each other. We get together with each other. We talk. We talk about our careers. How can we help each other? So it was never any of that. Um, the men that were there deserve to be there. They work just as hard. It's just they were given more time. But, um, yeah, I think there's definitely a need for more women to be at the Travel Channel. Having said that, um, there's some great women now coming up in the travel world that I love to sing their praises. One woman who has finally broke the Travel Channel Stop Hiring Women is a woman named Kelly Edwards. She's a pilot. She's an adventurer. She has a show called Mysterious Islands. And and she also happens to be an African-American woman, which is phenomenal because not just uh, white women should have this job. Diversity across the board should come to the travel genre, especially in TV and hosting. Um, so I think she's really exciting, and, and we, we're in touch all the time. Like, and, and, and any woman who's gotten a job at the Travel Channel to do a pilot has contacted me, and I have been very good at my advice saying, get this, don't fall for that. And so I will coach anyone in their, in, their, in their contract deals in what they should get, what they should just, hey, if someone's telling you that, that is BS. Tell them to stuff it and move on. So, uh, so I, I hope that I am seen as someone who absolutely supports the next round of women on TV. And I hope that round is much more diverse than it is now. If you were starting your career now, what do you think would be different? I think I wouldn't have a career because women aren't hired to do what I do. I, I know they are not, so I wouldn't have had a chance. And so I know also in the sort of the network world, travel shows aren't seen as um, as ratings getters. You know, now they put, you know, Gordon Ramsay in a show because we have to show people upset at each other in other worlds and other countries. I'm, I'll, I'll just rant on that <laughs> one too. Oh, great. You know, um, I, I don't know why we need an asshole male traveling the world. I really don't. I, I'm a hundred percent with you. Don't, don't get it. Great. He has 10 shows. Why does he need another one? How about we give it to someone who doesn't look like him, who's not his gender and see what happens. So it's just, it's that kind of stuff that you go up against, that just the same people get the same show after same show after same show, and we see them again, and how about someone new, you know? Because travel is, oh my gosh, it's just, it's so, it's just so amazing, and people who don't look like me should be able to see themselves in someone who's traveling, so they can see, I can do that, and I hope that's what I did for a younger generation when I was in my 30s, first doing the show, like young women do come up to me and say, you're the reason why I wanted to travel. And that's so important. And it's so important that we have other role models who are there showing that it does not matter what your genre, you know, your, your gender is or what your, you know, your race or your religion travel because it absolutely breaks boundaries. Well, and I think, I mean, this is something that we've talked on and off the podcast about at length, mostly because we were very inspired after we went to this poorly poorly attended women in journalism <laughs> panel <laughs> was it like five women yeah it was like oh, maybe man. 10 women and it literally in the middle of the panel one of the panelists had to be like hi sound guys in the back could you stop talking because we can hear you because they had just been like the people who were running the microphones were just Chat, know, chatting chatting away, away in the back of the room nice, nice. and when there are only 10 people we can all hear you <laughs> um why do you think it was poorly attended I, th I think it's, um, you know, the women showed up and I think there are a lot of men out there who do support 
these things and I think they do feel strongly about mm-hmm. it, but they just don't remember that they need to show up. They need to show up too, right, right. But the whole point of this panel was talking about how if you have more women in journalism, and this goes for, you know, if you're a travel host as well, is you tell different stories mm-hmm. because you see things differently because you're informed by a different life experience. Mm-hmm. And I think if we have a far more diverse range of people hosting travel shows, we're going to get so many different stories, mm-hmm. see so many different parts of the world that we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Totally agree. How I react is different than someone, you know, a male. Uh, you know, I remember watching uh, Anthony Bourdain, may he rest in peace. Um, what a, an amazing person he was. But he would go to places that I would not feel comfortable going. And I loved seeing him there. But I also knew that when I was in a place, every woman watching that would go, I can be there. And that's important because I'm even watching it as a traveler. Anthony Bourdain going, I don't think I could be there. I don't know how I would feel being there. And that's okay. You don't ha- there are places that, listen, if you don't feel comfortable in a place, don't go. There are plenty of places out there. So I think that's even important. And, and getting back to women of color, how I feel walking into a room as a white woman might be completely different than a black woman walking into that same room. And how does she feel? So I think these are all really important ideas to discuss that we're, we're in now a position where we want to know. We really want to know how the other feels. And I think women have always been primed to feel that, to be more empathetic towards others. You know, so. that's, I feel like that's, that's a good place positive to note to wrap things up on. Um, well, thank you, Sam, for joining us today. Where slash when can people see the first season or the second season of Places to Love? Uh, so right now it is on Create TV, which is the syndicated version of PBS. And uh, we start season two, first week of January. So check your PBS stations. Amazing. And where can people find you on the internet to follow your journeys in real time if they don't want to wait until January? I'm on Instagram, which is at uh, Samantha Brown Travels. Amazing. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor and Lale. I'm at Lale Hannah. And we actually have two exciting announcements today to wrap everything up. This week, we launched Women Who Travel Trips in partnership with this amazing female-led company, El Camino Travel, with a nine-day trip to Colombia. And we wish we could say, wow, you should totally book it. But it's actually sold out in 30 hours. So be prepared to see more trips coming up. Keep an eye on our social channels and the Women Who Travel Facebook group for more information. If you weren't able to book then you can attend our next meetup, which is open to all self-identifying women in Miami on Saturday, December 8th, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. during Art Basel. So if you're there to take in all the crazy art that most of us can't afford, amazing. (laughs) If you live in Miami or you want to fly down or up or across, our meetup will be there. Um, We'll leave the link in the show notes for you to RSVP. It's free and we'd love to see you. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead. Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant 
that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence, a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.